The Old Testament reading and the basis for this morning's time together around the study of the word um, comes from the book of Deuteronomy. It begins in the 26th chapter at the first verse. Moses said these things. This is Moses speaking. When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance and have taken possession of it and live in it, You shall take some of the first of all the fruit of the ground, which you harvest from your land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you shall put it in a basket, and you shall go to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name to dwell there. And you shall go to the priest who is in office at that time and say to him, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come into the land that the Lord swore to our fathers to give to us. Then the priest shall take the basket from your hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord your God. And you shall make response before the Lord your God. A wandering Aramean was my father, and he went down into Egypt and sojourned there, few in number, and there he became a nation, great, mighty, and populous. And the Egyptians treated us harshly and humiliated us and laid on us hard labor. And then we cried to the Lord, the God of our fathers, that the Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction, our toil, and our oppression. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great deeds of terror, with signs and wonders. And he brought us into this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And behold, now I bring the first of the fruit of the ground, which you, O Lord, have given me. And you shall set it down before the Lord your God, and worship before the Lord your God. And you shall rejoice in all the good that the Lord your God has given to you and to your house, you and the Levite and the sojourner who is among you. And that is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Would you pray with me, please? Oh God, there are days when the light seems almost gone. And then there are days when the light begins to shine again and our hearts are filled with hope. And so we pray. Many the gifts, many the people, many the hearts that yearn to belong. Let us be servants to one another. Signs of your kingdom come. Christ be our light. Shine in our hearts, shine through the darkness. Christ, be our light. Shine in your church gathered together today. Amen. Let it be so. I apologize for this up front, but I just couldn't resist. Snow White took some pics of the seven dwarfs in their surroundings. And she took the film to be developed, and after a week or two, she went to get the finished photos. And the clerk said that the photos were not back from the processor. So needless to say, Snow White was disappointed, and she started to cry. And the clerk, trying to console her, said, Don't worry, Snow White. Someday your prince will come. (laughs) Gotta admit, that's funny. (laughs) 
Scientist Gregory Bateson wrote a book titled Mind in Nature. And in it he tells what I think is a revealing story. He says that scientists recently found a way to design a software program that makes computers function more like the human mind. And after installing the software, the programmers typed in this question. How does the human mind work? And the computer replied, well, let me tell you a story. They knew then that the computer was thinking like a human being. Well, let me tell you a story. You know, we can't deny that the Hebrews were just great storytellers. Just notice how much of the Bible is story. We sing, tell me the stories of Jesus I love to hear. But before those life-changing stories of Jesus, there were the stories of David and Abram and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and Joshua. The Bible is just crammed full of stories. And God knows that telling stories, I think, is the easiest way to communicate with human beings. So today's lesson from the book of Deuteronomy tells one of history's most important stories. You see, Deuteronomy was written as Moses' final address to the people of Israel. Soon, they would be entering the promised land. Moses, unfortunately, would not be with them. Still, he had a vision of their future home, a land flowing with milk and honey. But Deuteronomy, folks, is really a long goodbye. Moses has led the children of Israel from their bondage in Egypt through the series of plagues and the Passover. He's led them across the Red Sea to Mount Sinai and received on their behalf the law and the covenant of God. He's led them through the wilderness and right to the border now of the promised land where they balked in their faith. And then he continued to walk with them and led them through their 40-year sentence of wilderness wandering. He led them through hunger and thirst, through worship and battles, through births and deaths, and now some 40 years after the original generation left Egypt under Moses, their adult children stand poised and ready to enter the promised land across the Jordan River. And finally, Moses will pass on the baton of leadership, having completed his very long leg of the journey. And before Joshua succeeds him and the Israelites march across the Jordan, Moses says his farewell. Deuteronomy is that farewell. So for what amounts to more than 30 chapters, Moses reminds the people about all that God has said to them and done for them along the way. He reminds them of the consequences of their disobedience as well as the benefits of their righteousness. He reminds them of God's rules and regulations for holy living. And in the passage that we shared together today, Moses goes on to write the script for their testimony once they have settled in the promised land. And you have to wonder if these instructions might not seem just a bit too soon for the Israelites. Because Moses was really taking a lot of things for granted here. Because at this point in time, the people were still camped 
across the Jordan River, gazing now at the walled city of Jericho. And that battle itself must have just seemed so huge to the people, let alone all of the others that were to follow. There were so many other towns and cities and fortresses and armies to be encountered, all yet unseen or unknown. Yet Moses seemed to be going by all of those experiences, as well as the whole process of settling into the land. When you've come into the land and you possess it, and you settle in it, Moses says, that is like saying to a pregnant woman, when you have given birth to your baby, weaned her, raised her through all of the years of childhood and adolescence, then here is what you should write on her birthday card when she turns 21. That's what it's like. Yet all of this premature talk still has its own sort of beauty for us, I think. And I think if we're honest, it is the beauty of certainty. Like Babe Ruth calling his shot, or Joe Namath guaranteeing victory in Super Bowl III. It's like President Kennedy pledging to put a man on the moon in this decade. It is the beauty of certainty. And it is at its best, I think, when the promise comes from God. For God, God's guarantees, folks, are absolute. So Moses confidently fast-forwards past all of these challenges, the struggles, the battles, and he says to the people, Hey, when you have come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance to possess, and you possess it, and you settle into it, first thing you do is take an offering to the place of worship, first fruits from the harvest of the land. And that offering represents the people's gratitude to God, a first fruits offering. Let the first thing I do with God's gift to me be a way of saying thank you and I love you to God. And then they were to recognize that God had kept God's promise and that the giver was the beneficiary of that promise. And then in the very next moment, the person making the offering was to make this statement. Hear it again. A wandering Aramean was my ancestor. He went down into Egypt and lived there as an alien, few in number. And there he became a great nation, mighty and populous. And when the Egyptians treated us harshly and afflicted us by imposing hard labor on us, we cried to the Lord, the, Lord, the God of our ancestors. And the Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction, our toil, and our oppression. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and with a terrifying display of power and with signs and wonders. And God brought us into this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So now I bring the first fruit of that ground to you, O Lord, for you have given it to me. And that's Israel's testimony. How God had found them, saved them, led them, prospered them. This is the story they were to tell as they presented their offering. And if we were to follow that same practice every time we presented an offering, we would tell the story of a people who were once slaves to sin, sin and death. 
But then a man named Jesus came down from heaven to live among us, to give his life on our behalf. This is also a story of, deli- of a deliverance, an exodus, if you will. It is our story, the story of every person gathered in this room. That is to say that Christian faith is not a philosophy, folks. It is a story. Let me explain what I mean. There have been a great good many philosophers, many people who I've read and loved, people who have studied about life and have come to understand many important truths about life. Socrates was a philosopher. Buddha was a philosopher. Emerson was a philosopher. And we can learn from these insightful folks. But Christian faith is not a philosophy. For you see, Christianity is based on a historic event because the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. God revealed God's self in Jesus the Christ. And when we recite our creed, we tell a story. I believe in God the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven, sitteth on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, and from thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. These aren't principles about life that great minds have discovered. They're historical truths that have been revealed to us. Christian faith is not a philosophy, folks. It's a story. And this is our tradition, our old word for a new day. And just like those early worshipers in ancient Israel, our testimonies, our personal testimonies, our stories, they're stories of where we were when God found us and the place to which God has now brought us. Stories of how God has led us and what God has led us through. Expressions of our gratitude to God for God's faithfulness and care. And all of us here who have traveled some miles with God, we have these stories. And they're meant to be declared in this place of worship. And even for those of us who have not yet reached the place we believe God has in store for us, it is not too early to begin writing our own confession of faith. Because, you see, memory is essential to identity. We did not come from nowhere, nor does our story end with us. We are leaves on an ancient tree, chapters in a long and still being written story. And we all know it takes time for human beings to learn, to grow, 
to rise above our dysfunctional and destructive instincts. But thank God the covenant is extended over time. And the only guarantors of this covenant at Mount Sinai, think about this, were the children yet to be born. And I really think that's about as near to immortality as we get to know on earth. To know that we are guardians of the hopes of our ancestors and the trustees of a covenant for the sake of the future. May it be so for us. Amen.